Hello, folks. This is Pastor Mike Hoggard coming to you from Watchmen Studios with another Watchmen video broadcast. Entirely different theme for uh, this week, maybe next week. We'll see how far we get today. Uh, we're going to go back and study numbers again. And, I, and I'll tell you what inspired me. You know how some people, uh, and I do this, I do this every, I won't say every single day, but generally, during the day, I'll look at the little digital clock on the bottom of the Windows screen uh, or my watch or the watch or the clock on the, in the car at 11.34, whether it's day or night, 11.34, okay? And I, it goes back to when, I've told this story, it goes back to when I was a kid and, and, and digital calculators first came out. First, you know, and we're fascinated with these little mini, you know, handheld things. Some, they, were already, uh, they were already solar powered at the time. We were just fascinated. And me and my sister learned from watching the Donnie and Marie show that uh, that was the Osmonds, that you could type certain numbers in and turn it upside down, it would make a sentence. And it was then that I found out that the number 1134, you turn it upside down and it says hell. Now, I was at an age at where that was <laughs> a dirty word, okay? And I thought I was getting by with something. But for some reason, that stuck right inside my brain. And so it, it, I still giggle. I get a little chuckle when my mind says, look what time it is, or why well, I wonder what time it is. It's 1134, okay? Um, now, I don't put any spiritual thing onto that, thank God. Um, but it's how the mind works. Our conscience, my, our conscious mind uh, is aware of what we're focused on at any given moment. Our subconscious mind is aware of everything else, believe it or not. Um, th there are sounds going on around you right now besides you focusing on my voice. There may be a clock ticking. There may be a dog barking in the neighborhood. There may be cars going up down the road. The air conditioner or the heater may be on or whatever. Those are making sounds. There are uh, sights going on in our peripheral vision. Believe it or not, I can look straight at this camera and I can see both sets of my fingers wiggling, okay? Peripheral vision. Now, my subconscious takes that in all the time. I'm spending a lot of time to basically tell you that we are, we are numbers people. God designed us to be numbers-affected people. Numbers-affected people. That's naps. God designed us for naps. Amen to that. But anyway, um, when God drew me into the scriptures to study numbers, uh, joy, absolute joy was to be found in the word of God. Now, I'm not a mathematician by any means. I, I made it through algebra in high school and that's it. Um, but it, you don't have to be a genius to understand certain things add up to certain other things and to notice patterns. Our brains are designed to notice 
patterns, all right? And so um, this day came up, and it was Sunday, and I'm a little late behind. I'm a little behind getting this out, but this is what drew me to it. It was um, July 7th, no, July 23rd, 2023. And the date, I was writing the date out, and it said 7-23-23. Now, I like those two numbers in the Bible. And yes, I did say those two numbers. We're going to look at those two numbers, the number 23. Then we're going to look at the number 23. And we're going to look at how they are separately and then what they say when you bring them together. Now, am I going way off the rails of Bible interpretation, Bible theology, um, Bible learning, Bible teaching? Am I going completely crazy? Absolutely not. Now, I settled this issue with God many years ago. God, I didn't want to study numbers. I thought that's the occult devil. You know, the devil does things by numbers and so on. People worship numbers and, you know, um, and so I didn't want to do it. But God assured me, Mike, just think of the number seven and all the things that I did in sevens. And when I started putting all that together, that was simple. I said, well, it appears, it appears that God uses numbers in the Bible. So here's our, we, out of the mouth of two witnesses, there's a number, shall every word be established, every doctrine should be established this way. Out of the mouth of two biblical witnesses. Now, just because the two witnesses, Donnie and Marie, might have said this number means something, okay? They were Mormons, so they don't count. Two biblical references, two biblical witnesses saying the same thing in relation to a particular number. So we have two witnesses in the Bible that actually tell us that wisdom comes from counting things that are in the Bible. The first one, a verse you know very well, Revelation 13, 18, here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding, notice here, wisdom and understanding, that's two of the seven spirits of God mentioned in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, is that he would give them the spirit of understanding, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of wisdom. So when the Holy Spirit draws your attention and says, you want wisdom, you want understanding? Well, here it is right here. Pay attention to this. We should pay attention. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred, three score, and six. We would say it six hundred and sixty-six. Now, I don't know why the Bible here in this case says three score. There could be something to that. Somebody brought that up a while back, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm just going to have to look into that because it seems interesting to me. But we have, a, we have a, a verse in the Bible that tells us, do you want wisdom? Do you want understanding? Well, let's count the number. Here is the number of the beast on one hand, and yet it's the number of man on the other. Well, those two are not the same, are they? But they were both created on the same day. 
all of the land beasts were created on day six of creation. They were created first. And then, and God just went, you know, let there be beasts in the field. Boom. And there were. So that was easy. So God's like, okay, got the rest of the day to spend working on man. And so God shaped man out of the dust of the earth on day six, the same day that he created beasts and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living soul. That's what separates us from all of the other animals in the world. Don't let people convince you that eating pork or beef or chicken or foie gras or snails or anything else, don't let anybody convince you that eating animal tissue in any form is some sin against God because it's not. It's just simply not. God allowed it. God blessed it. God sanctioned it. God even gave laws against eating certain animals in the Old Testament because they were unclean. And then Christ the Lord told us through the Apostle Paul that we could eat those animals as long as they were sanctified by the word of God and by prayer, which is why we as Christians pray over our meals. We pray and ask God's blessing and we give God thanks for the food that we have to eat. And God doesn't change the law the way we get accused. What, you say God changed the law? No, God didn't change the law. He cleaned up a dirty, filthy pig so that I could eat it. And I'm very thankful that he did. All right, so here's wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast for it is the number of a man and his number is 603 score and six. So back years ago, when I first started counting things in the Bible, I thought, hmm, I wonder what the 666th chapter of the Bible is. Now, you have the benefit of having the King James Pure Bible Search software available to you for your love gift of absolutely nothing. That's right. It's a free download. We don't even ask that you uh, give us your you know, your name, your email address, so we can sell it in it from, you know, in a database form to some company and they can send you all kinds of hacking emails and stuff like we, we don't do that. Okay. We just let you download it for free. We found out that we've been sending Bibles in places where it's illegal to own a Bible. Should we stop doing that? No, not on your life. We're not going to stop doing that. But anyway, um, uh, back when I first counted this, I kind of had to do it the hard way. And so what I did was I made up a spreadsheet and I'm not very gifted with spreadsheets either, but I put down Genesis and how many chapters it had in it in the next column, Exodus, and then it had 40 columns in it or 40 chapters in it. So the total then would be 50 plus 40 is 90, it had a subtotal on the next, on the next column. And then you add Leviticus, which has 27 chapters to it, and so on and so on. So I would go down to the nearest number by book, and then I would go down to the nearest, uh, nearest like the first column would be the, the nearest number in hundreds, the nearest number in tens, and so on. 
until I figured out that Ecclesiastes chapter 7 was the 666th chapter of the Bible. And I was thinking at the time, I really was, I'm going to find the name of the bees before anybody else does. And God said, Mike, it's not going to be that way. So I didn't find the name of the beast. I didn't find really too much, you know, about the beast. But I did find a second witness associated with that exact same number. So in Revelation 13, 18, we have the number 603 score and six. And we have that verse telling us, uh, here's wisdom, let him that hath understanding count the number. Then we have Ecclesiastes chapter 7, which is the 666th chapter of the Bible, where Solomon says this, I applied mine heart to know and to search and to seek out wisdom. There it is. Here's wisdom. And the reason of things, and to know the wickedness of folly, even the foolishness and madness. And I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets. Yes, Solomon knew all about the strange woman he wrote about in the book of Proverbs. And that's what I think he's referring to here. Her heart is snares and nets and her hands is bands. Whoso pleaseth God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be taken by her. And then he says it in verse 27, Behold, this have I found, saith the preacher, counting one by one, to find out the account. So what was he doing? He applied his heart, not just his head, but his heart to know, to search, and to seek out wisdom. If Jesus said, ask and it shall be given, seek and ye shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you, then I would believe that. I would believe that if you seek after things from God in the Bible, that God will reveal them to you. It's that simple. And it, you have not because you ask not. So God says, start searching. I don't have a problem with it. Start searching. Start asking me questions and I'll give you biblical answers. So that's in the 666th chapter of the Bible where Solomon says, I went to seek out wisdom and applied my heart to it. And he said, this have I found, counting one by one to find out the account. And that's almost identical to what he says in Revelation 13, 18. Here's wisdom, let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 603 score and six. So you have two verses, one of them in the Old Testament, one of them in the New Testament, they're both telling you that wisdom can be discerned and learned and known by way of counting things one by one, and they're both associated with the exact same number. Now, uh, try rolling that dice for the first try and see if it comes up that way. And what I'm saying by that is that is a, that is if it's there by chance, the chances are pretty extraordinary that if you just picked up a pair of dice and shook it up, and let's say that you had one dice that had 600 sides on it, 
okay? And you had one dice that had 60 sides on it and one dice, regular dice, that has six sides on it. And you roll them both around and around and around and you toss them out there and they came up 600 on one, 60 on the other, and six on the last. And that was your first try ever to do that. That's what, that, that's what this would be like, okay? That's, that's, the, um, that's the odds. The odds are in favor of this never happening by chance. Seems to me to be happening by, by uh, on purpose, okay? So what is the number we're going to look at today? Two numbers, 23 and 23. Now let me introduce you to that number. Uh, one of the things that I felt God was leading me in, um, and you always test God. You always test God. I did. So if I felt like God was saying, Mike, the you know this and this and this, I would say, God... That sounds good, but I don't know that that's you talking. Because there are devils around me that, boy, sometimes they sure sound like you. And so, God, I'm going to test this to see if it passes the smell test. I'm going to make sure that this is right biblically. I'm going to make sure that this is you talking before I just believe it. Okay? And so... Um, one of the things that God was saying to me was, Mike, the number meaning is in the Genesis chapter. And I did. I said, okay, God, it sounds good. Sounds reasonable. But I'm going to have to check on this. I'm going to have to. And God didn't say, Mike, I'll strike you dead if you doubt me. He didn't say that. He says in Jeremiah 33, 3, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things that thou knowest not. The number 33 is the number for wisdom, for understanding, and so on. Is 33 related to 66 books of the Bible? Yeah, it's a multiple. So anyway, so I went to, when it comes to the number 23, I went to the Genesis chapter of 23 to find out the account of what that number was dealing with. I had a, had sort of an idea, but I wanted to make sure. So in Genesis 23, this is what happened. And Sarah was 107 and 20 years old. Now, none of that is 23. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, the same as Hebron in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And so basically, and if you read the whole rest of Genesis 23, it's all about Sarah's death. It's all about uh, Abraham making arrangements for the very first time for a member of his family who has died. Up until this time, Abraham hasn't had to deal with this. Now he's got to deal with it. So he goes and he buys uh, the cave of Adullam, or no, the cave of Machpelah, he, he purchases that cave and works out the, the pay arrangement and so on and pays the money, and now he has everlasting rights to that tomb, and that's going to be the family tomb. The family of Abraham is going to be entombed in this place that Sarah was laid, all right? Now, this is in 
Genesis 23. So it looks like that the number 23 deals with, let's say, possibly death. All right? So now that's, that's the first 23. Let's look at the second 23 in Genesis 23. I counted down to the 23rd word of Genesis 23. I'll pause just for a minute. A minute. That is a, an indeterminate amount of time. And you count to the 23rd word of Genesis 23. Go. Did you get it? And Sarah was 107 and 20 years old, and these were the years of the life of Sarah, and Sarah died. That's 23rd word in the 23rd chapter of the Bible. The 23rd chapter of the Bible deals all about Sarah's death and her burial um, in the cave of Machpelah, where Abraham was to be buried, Isaac, Jacob was to be buried. Remember, he told the Israelites, he wanted his bones carried up into the same cave where his forefathers died and he made them swear and they swore and they did it. When they finally left Egypt, they carried the bones of Jacob uh, and placed them there with his, with uh, Abraham and, and Sarah and Isaac and so on. But what are the chances now that twice we've taken Two sets of die. One uh, die has 600 sides on it. The second one has 60. The third one has six sides on it. And then we have another set just like it. And the first set, we roll and it comes up 666. And the second set, we roll for the very first time, again, 660 and 6. Somebody's going to be checking the dice. And saying, ah, that can't be. There's no way in the world that light, that dice is loaded. Well, I assure you it's not. What I've given you is facts. What you do with the facts is your business. But you see, I've already bet against you twice, and I've won twice. Okay? The numbers tell you the meaning. And in the Genesis chapter 23, dealing with the death of Sarah, it happens that the 23rd word is died, and Sarah died. Now, you can count that by hand, or you can use the Pure Bible Search software, uh, purebiblesearch.com, download it, Linux, Macintosh, Windows, you will enjoy it. I promise you, it is more fun than watching Gilligan's Island reruns, okay? Promise you that. Now, let's go to the 23rd verse of the Bible. Now, sometimes we just got to know a few things about the Bible in order for it to click. And I just happened to know a few things about the Bible when I read this one. Genesis chapter 1, verse 23, the Bible says, And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Now, we ask ourselves, what did God create on the fifth day? which happens to be the 23rd verse of the Bible. Well, in Genesis 1, 21, and God created great whales. Can you think of a story in the Bible that deals with whales that could have anything at all 
to do with death? Well, I can think of a couple places. One of them is the story of Jonah itself, where Jonah was cast into the waters. He was swallowed up by the book of uh, Jonah calls it a great fish, but Jesus himself called it a whale. He was swallowed up by a whale, and while Jonah was in there for three days, he said and he, in his prayer to God, out of the belly of hell have I cried unto thee. Hell and death are always equal to each other. They're always the same. They're, where you find one, you're going to find other. Okay? But here's what Matthew 12, 40 says. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. How did he get to the heart of the earth? Why was he in the heart of the earth? It's because he was sacrificed, crucified, slain killed, put on the altar of God, which is the cross, and there he died. He gave up the ghost, and then he went to the lower parts of the earth, and he preached the gospel to spirits that were in prison. For three days, he preached and set captivity free, those who were in Abraham's bosom, like Lazarus, and those who were like the rich man who didn't trust in God in their life, they're, going to, they're burning to this day right now in hell. They will be delivered out of hell one of these days, given their final judgment, cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity. And if you believe in annihilation, that was the word a few Wednesday nights ago, I think. I couldn't remember. If you believe in annihilation, you are so totally wrong. They're not annihilated in hell. In other words, they don't just dissolve and are burned up. They are consciously, I don't want to say the word alive, because they're eternally dead, but they're consciously aware of it for all of eternity. In Matthew 24, Jesus called it everlasting punishment. I'm glad I'm saved. Amen. So that's what you get from the 23rd verse of the Bible. Now, let's, let's start with, uh, let's do a genealogy. We know that uh, certain numbers in genealogy pop up as being significant. Uh, for instance, I'll give you a, a thing. Um, we know that Jesus uh, lived 33 and a half years on this earth. We know that by counting the Passovers and the four Gospels. And uh, we know that Jesus started his ministry when he was 30, 33 uh, and a half when he has that Passover and he is killed basically when he's 33 years old, okay? We know that by counting the, uh, the genealogies like from Adam all the way down, we find that King David, who Jesus is the son of David, who the Bible also says in uh, I think it's he's, uh, Ezekiel 30, uh, 37 in the story of the dry bones that David, the king, is going to reign. Well, I don't believe that God's going to resurrect David out of the dead to be king. I believe it's a reference to Jesus Christ, okay? And David was the 33rd in the lineage. Isn't that neat? He was 33rd in the lineage of, um, from Adam all the way down to David. 
He was number 33. We have in the book of Jude, the Bible referencing Enoch, and Enoch, the seventh from Adam. It specifically tells you that Enoch was the seventh generation, starting with Adam. Adam is number one. Adam is not zero generation. So we have Adam, and I don't have all the names in front of me, but by the time you get to the seventh one, that is Enoch, okay? And Enoch preaches to uh, the generation, you know, he, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of, his, thousands of his saints and so on. So we know that uh, the placement of certain people in the genealogy of, uh, of Adam might just mean something, okay? Uh, when we look at the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, where it starts from Abraham and goes all the way down to Christ, we see that there are 42, which is six times seven, seven perfect, perfection. Uh, some say that six could represent for man, uh, seven for God, six for man. So you have in Christ the God-man. He is fully God and fully man. However, when you go to Luke chapter three, we have a different genealogy of Christ. It goes from Christ backwards past Abraham all the way to God. And I like, I like it that way because it says Jesus, as was perceived being the son of Joseph, who was the son of so on, Heli, who was the son of so on, who was the son of so on. By the time you get down to Seth, who was the son of Adam, who was the son of God. Oh, I like that. Because Adam was a foreshadow of Jesus Christ. We have the first Adam, as in Adam, all die. We have the second Adam, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, oh, oh by the way, the numbers, the genealogy from in Luke 3, going backwards, Jesus to God, 77. 77 names in that genealogy. Love that, okay? So then... I counted from Adam forward to the genealogies um, from Adam all the way down as far as I could. I stopped when I got to the number 23 because I thought it's got to be significant. So we look in 1 Chronicles chapter 1, Adam, Sheth, Enos, Kenan, Mahalil, Jared, Henoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, Noah's tenth from Adam, okay? Uh, Shem, Ham, Japheth. Now, Shem, Ham, and Japheth are not 11, 12, and 13. Shem, Ham, and Japheth are 11, 11, 11. They're all of the 11th generation down from Adam, okay? And it's from that point that God... Uh, basically filled the earth with all the families of the earth. We find that in Genesis chapter 10. 1 Corinthians 15, 22. I mentioned that verse. For as in Adam, all die. And all of these people died. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Now this is going to be significant because as I mentioned, we have Noah, who's the 10th from Adam, 
In Genesis chapter 7, verse 23, verse what? 23, every living substance was destroyed. That means it all died, which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle and the creeping things and the fowl of the heaven, and they were destroyed from the earth, and Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark. Now, this is interesting, because you have everybody else, and all of the animals that live above the sea, they're all, and even a lot of them that lived in the sea, but all of the animals that lived above the the top of the water, they all died. But see here, this is the 23rd mention of Noah's name. And so while everybody else died, Noah remained alive. As in Adam, all die. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And so what you have, like uh, that's a, uh, like a teaching about the, the difference between the Old and the New Testament. As in Adam, the Old Testament, shall all die, because of sin, the law is here in the Old Testament telling us what kind of sinners we are. But when we get to the New Testament, there is a new birth, a new life, uh, um, uh, a, a new circumcision, not made with men's hands. In other words, the circumcision of this flesh, the circumcision took place on the eighth day. Uh, Noah, there was how many people on the ark? Eight. That's new life and new beginnings. So as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And so you have a sort of a renewal in the days of Noah. Um, In the days before the flood, when the flood comes, every living substance died with the exception of Noah, his three sons, their wives, and Noah's wife. That's eight people total, plus all of the animals on the ark. And they step out of the ark on the eighth, um, in the eighth chapter of the Bible into a brand new world to start all over again. So with the 23rd mention of Noah's name, you have the destruction of everything that breathes air but then you have God's grace and mercy and salvation starting things all over again with Noah and the other seven people that were with him on the ark that makes eight. And they both, all eight come out in the eighth chapter of the Bible to start the world all over again. Because this number 23 not only deals with death, But as we're going to see, it deals with death pointing us to what lies beyond death. And trust me, well, no, trust God. There's something wonderful beyond death for all of those who will believe. Now, let's look at this genealogy once again, starting from Adam. We noticed that as we were looking at that genealogy, we got to Noah who is the 10th from Adam, his three sons being the 11th generation. And in Noah's day, in his three sons' days, we have uh, the destruction of the earth and the killing of all that breathe the air, but then God starting all over again 
And at the 23rd mention of Noah's name, we find that God destroyed everything that was living on the earth. Okay? Now, let's count this genealogy again. Let's go past Noah to the 23rd generation of Adam or from Adam. We have Adam, Seth, Enos, Canaan, Mahalaleel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, Shem, Arphaxad, and from we're going down from Noah and we're not going to Ham's lineage. We're not going to um, uh, Japheth's lineage. We're going to Shem's lineage. Shem is all of those of the Semitic groups, okay? Those who speak the what they call the Semitic languages and who are of the Semitic type of people um, because they are from Shem. Generally, when we say that someone is anti-Semitic or an anti-Semite, we mean it to say that they are anti-Jewish because all of the tribes of Israel came down through the lineage of Shem. So we have Shem in the Levin position, Arphaxad, Selah, Eber, Peleg, Reu, Sereb, Nahor, Terah, and then we have Abraham in the 20th position, Isaac in the 21st position, Jacob in the 22nd position, then in the 23rd position in the, in the lineage from Adam all the way down, we have the 12 sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. The one that sticks out the most to me is that of Levi. And it's because the third book of the Bible, obviously not the 23rd, we'll get to that one. The third book of the Bible is the book of Levi. And what were the Levites doing? What was their job? God wouldn't give them land along with Judah. He wouldn't give them uh, land like he gave to Ephraim and Manasseh and things like that. So they couldn't be farmers or vineyard owners or anything like that. Uh, anything that the Levites wanted, they had to buy. Okay, Where did they get the money from? Well, they got the money from the tithes that the other tribes brought into the storehouse. They got some of their food from the sacrifices that came in. God allowed them a worthy portion. In fact, they, they got a pretty good portion from each and every sacrifice that was brought in by the children of Israel. And so basically, Levite, his primary and sole job was to take care of the daily sacrifice. As people who recognized their sin before God would come with a lamb or a goat or a bullock without blemish, uh, or if they were poor, uh, they would come in maybe with uh, two turtle doves or some fine flour mingled with uh, oil and, and spices and so on because they didn't have money for anything else. So they would come in with these things and offer them. The Levite priest then would take them. He would take a, a, a portion for himself and for his family. That was for his living. If he had extra that he didn't need immediately, he could sell that. 
and have the money for whatever else he might need or might want to have and so on. Anyway, so that was the economy of the tribe of Levi. That's how they earned their living and that's how they fed their families and so on. But it's interesting to me that Levi comes in the 23rd position in the generation from Adam all the way down because Levite is the, is the tribe that performs the daily sacrifice. And we know what the daily sacrifice is all about, don't we? It's all about a foreshadowing of a man who's going to die on a cross one of these days. He is the high priest and the sacrifice. He is the one who offers the blood, and the blood is his own blood. I just love this story. I love the parallels. I love the the typology of it, all right? And we find yet another prophecy, not just uh, from the tribe of Levi, but connected with the same number that Levi's in. Remember, Levi is in the 23rd generation from Adam, which would mean death. So we go to the, and I mentioned this a while ago, we go to the 23rd book of the Bible. What would that be? I'll give you a second. Isaiah. Isaiah. It's interesting. Isaiah has uh, 66 chapters. The the Bible has 66 books. The book of Isaiah is like a mini Bible. It's even divided when you get into Isaiah and studying it. You can see clearly that the 40th book of the Bible is the beginning of the New Covenant. It's, It's Matthew, okay? And in the first part of Matthew, we find John the Baptist who comes and he's proclaiming, comfort ye, comfort ye my people, speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That's John the Baptist saying that. That was prophesied in, guess what? The 40th chapter of the book of Isaiah. And we have a man in the days of the early church, and he's in, um, he's in a chariot, so he's a man of some power and, and, and wealth and, and position. He is the head of Candace, queen of Ethiopia. He is the head uh, of, uh, of all of her, um, all of the servants that she has. Um, he is a eunuch and God dispatched Philip to go and preach to him and to minister to him. And as he sees this chariot coming by with this eunuch in it from Ethiopia, Philip doesn't look at it and say, God, that guy's black. You want me to talk to him? Really? Philip doesn't do that, does he? No, because red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Amen? So Philip jumps in the chariot, and he sees that he's reading 
from the 23rd book of the Bible, Isaiah. Philip says, understandest what thou readest? And Philip and the eunuch said, how can I except some man teach me? And the Bible says that from that place, he began to teach him Jesus Christ. Now, what place was he teaching him from? It was from Isaiah chapter 53. Who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Now, here's what I did. When I realized that one of the most significant places in the book of Isaiah was Isaiah 53 and that it foretold practically everything that took place to Jesus on the cross. I sat down and itemized all of those things that were mentioned in Isaiah 53 as what happened to Jesus on the cross. You're like this. He shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was despised, surely hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did not, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Now it goes from Jesus to us. All we like sheep have gone astray and have turned everyone to his own way. And uh, now we pick up the Lord again, Jesus, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. The 23rd, 23rd thing that happened, yet he opened not his mouth. But we're not done because that's not all it mentions that happened to Jesus on the cross. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? His generation. Who shall declare his generation? Remember, Levi was from the 23rd generation. Hmm. And Jesus from the 77th generation from Adam. Um, verse 28, for he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence. Neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. For he hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. The 41st thing that happens, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he hath poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors. Numbered. And he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. That's the 46th thing. And it's over with. It's done. The chapter's over with. 23 plus 23 more things equals 46 things that happened to Christ prophesied 
nearly a thousand years before Christ ever came by Isaiah the prophet, 46 things in the 23rd book of the Bible. And they all speak of the stripes that was laid on Jesus and the death that he submitted himself to in order for you and I to be saved and not have to bear the reproach of our own sins. Mm -mm -mm. So, when we talk to people about the Lord, do we just try to make up things to say to them? When they say, you know, I'd, I'd really like to be saved, I just don't know how. Do we make up things? Do we say, well, let's pretend that, that God is like a cup. Now, drink of the cup. And now you're sitting. No, we don't do that. We give people scripture. You get where I'm going? What's the first, what's the first part of the Romans road? Romans 3. 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Psalm 23, think about it for a minute. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff. They comfort me. It looks to me like the number 23 represents death, sacrifice, the crucifixion of Christ, so on and so on. Now, in Romans 1, and see, there's a couple of things that I, I, I want everybody to, to, uh, to receive from any time I teach on Bible numbers. Number one, I want you to just, I want you to have some joy in your heart. That these things I'm pointing out to you, they're real. I've not, to my knowledge, I've not lied on any of these facts that I'm giving you. I mean, it is a fact that Levi is the 23rd generation from Adam. It is a fact that Noah is the 10th generation from Adam. It is a fact that the 23rd chapter of the Bible, Genesis 23, deals with the death of Sarah. And it is a fact that the 23rd word of the 23rd chapter of the Bible is the word died. It is a fact. Now, those of us who are born again, we look at that and, you know, the doodads go up on the back of our head and we, we think, man, this is, I love this stuff. This, man, this Bible is great. So number one, I, I want to give you joy in knowing that we have this amazing, amazing Bible given to us by God himself, okay? Uh, number two, I, I want to try to... Um, Maybe teach some of the things that I've learned over the years in studying the Bible and studying uh, especially numbers and the meanings of the numbers because I think they're important. I think that uh, the full meaning of the numbers of the Bible, we have yet to see. 
I don't think that I've come up with everything there is to squeeze out of the Bible concerning numbers. I think their full understanding and meaning is in the future, not in the past. So what I want you to do is I want you to um, to find the same joy in studying things out in the Bible as I do. I want you to receive that joy, but I also want you to learn while you're doing it. Another thing that I want to impart to you, and I make no apologies for this whatsoever, I want you to know that you can go to any modern translation of the Bible that you want to, and you will not find these same number patterns in any modern translation, you'll only find them in the 1611 Authorized King James Bible. It's the only one. And God used that to help me. I mean, he, could, he spoke it to my heart, Michael, this Bible's right. And I, and I accepted that, but I said, God, give me evidence. He's still doing it, and I'm not asking anymore, and he's still giving it. I want you to know that this Bible is 100% right, because the problem with the modern translations, they use a different set of Greek texts to translate the New Testament, and because of that, there are so many variations between the Greek text that's used to translate, let's say, the New English Version or the New International Version or the New American Standard Bible. And by the way, this Greek text that's out, the, I think it's the 28th edition of the Nesalalan Greek text, they're now working on the 29th edition of the Nesalalan Greek text, which means they're going to change certain things that were in the 28th edition, which means that any new Bible that comes out after the 29th edition of the Nesalalan Greek text will naturally have to change as a result of that Greek text changing. So their Bible isn't going to say the same thing 10 years, 15 years from now that it's saying now. That's already been proven. It's already been seen that the NIV that is out right now is not the NIV that came out in its full form in 1980. It's not the same Bible. It's different. Meanwhile, in spite, and in spite of our critics who say, well, which King James do you believe? Do you believe the 1611 or do you believe the 1620 or do you believe the 16, uh, in 1814 we took a little trip along with Colonel Jackson down the mighty Mississippi version or do you believe whatever? I've read and have facsimiles, got them all over the church of 1611. I have a physical, real page from a 1611 printed King James Bible, and it reads exactly the same as my current King James Bible. So don't let them pull that on you either like they did on me. I believed it. They said, which Bible do you believe? Because they're all, all the King James Bibles are different because of time and, you know, whatever. They spoke Middle English back then. We don't use that anymore. 
They lied to their teeth. And anybody that has to lie to get you on their side, there's something wrong with their side. Anyway, now, um, here's where I'm going with this. Romans chapter 1. Not only is going to give us, once again, the meaning behind the number 23, but it's going to show you by way of giving you a list that has 23 things in it. We saw it with Romans 3, 23, uh, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. From the book of Psalms, Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So we see death, death, death all over in that. Now we're going to see it again. Romans chapter 1, verse 28. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with, number one, all righteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. That is 23 things that if you do them, look at the next verse, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. Not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Listen, you don't have to be a sodomite to go to a sodomite pride fest. There was a young lady that used to go to this church. I thought the world of her. I thought, what a godly young lady. And she wants to serve the Lord and do what's right. Things happened. Family broke up. My wife showed me a picture of this young lady at the celebration downtown St. Louis, Pride Fest, wearing a t-shirt um, G-A-F gay as blank and I, I don't I don't think she's that way. I know she's been married and divorced. But they, uh, they had, this young lady had an uncle that was a sodomite. And he died just not too long ago. Young man, young man. Those who have pleasure in them that do them are under the same condemnation as those that do these 23 things. And these 23 things, those that do them, are worthy of death. There's a word in the Bible. You've heard of it, the word leaven. Think of what the word leaven might mean. Think of how uh, during the Passover, God said, I want you to remove all leaven from your house because 
God said, if I find any leaven in the house of anyone on this day of Passover, what did God say he was going to do? Said he would bring death to that household. Okay? So now watch this. Matthew 16, 6, Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. What was he referring to? In verse 12, Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Then in 1 Corinthians 5, 8, Paul says, Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And Galatians 5.9 says, A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. What was he referring to? He was referring to false doctrine. Jesus Christ told us to beware of the leaven and the Pharisees, and he told us to beware of the doctrine. And I think in... 1 Corinthians, and in Paul's teaching, I think it refers to not only false doctrine, but sin. You know how we like to think, well, I'm just going to commit a little sin. Well, there is no such thing. And beware, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And it just so happens that the word leaven, you guessed it, it's mentioned 23 times in the King James Bible. You just, that's a fact. That's a fact. What you do with the fact is up to you. What I like to do with the fact is say, wow, this Bible is absolutely amazing. That's what I like to do. Brings me joy. Now, we have the origin of sin. Or we could say maybe the origin of leaven, right? Okay, because they bring death. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, now here's what I did. I counted the words. I count the number. I counted the words that the serpent said to Eve in the Garden of Eden. I didn't count all the words of the verse I counted just the words where it says, and the serpent said, and boom, boom, you start counting from there. You count the exact words that the serpent said. And he said unto the woman, start right here. Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Fourteen words. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. That's interesting. And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. That's five words, which was a lie, wasn't it? That was leaven. He was leavening her mind, wasn't he? Poisoning it. And then in the next verse, For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, not as God, but as gods, little g, gods, 
knowing good and evil. That's 27 words. So 14 plus 5 plus 27, look at there, 46. That is 23 times 2, 23 and 23. See, I told you we were going to study these two numbers, 23 and 23. I just didn't tell you we was going to add them together every now and then. Comes out 46. Hey, looky here. The word crucified. Does that have anything to do with death? Of course it does. And it relates to Christ. And all of these numbers will always point you to Christ. Always. So here the devil speaks these 46 words to Eve. And again, think about it. Now we know that Eve didn't speak 21st century Anglo-American English. We know he didn't. But somehow, some way, and I have to believe by the hand of God, that God is the one who placed these patterns in the Bible, in this particular version, to show us great and mighty things that we know not. Now, again, you might have a problem with what I just said, but you cannot deny the facts that I'm laying out to you. You can't deny them because they are indeed fact. Now, the word crucified in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's mentioned 23 times exactly, not 22 and a half, not 24, but I found it 24 times, but I, I don't think this one should be there, so I, I crossed it out. No, I don't do that. If it don't show up with the number I'm looking for, I don't try to change it. The word crucified 23 times. Matthew 27, verse 23. And the governor said, why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, let him be crucified. John 19, 23. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top and throughout. And then, that's one of my favorite places, Luke 23, 23. See, I told you we were going to look at these two numbers, 23 and 23. 23rd chapter of Luke, 23rd verse, and they were instant with loud voices requiring that he might be crucified and the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. Now, you say, well, you only limited that to one, one way the word crucify is mentioned in the Bible and you only limited it to the four gospels. Okay, so let's do the whole thing. Let's take every form of how crucify shows up in the King James Bible. Well, it shows up either as crucify or crucified. There's no crucifix. Thank you, God. There's no um, uh, crucifism, no crucifiedingly, nothing like that. Just two forms of the word, crucify and crucified. Now, the total sum of those two words together equals 37. 
I don't get much out of that. However, I'm going to show you the 23rd occurrence of either the word crucify or the word crucified. Luke 23, 23, requiring that he might be crucified. What do you think the chances are? Again, we've got these, these big set of dice, one with 600 sides to it, another with 60 sides to it, another with six sides to it, and we roll them. And they come up 666, and we keep rolling them, and keep rolling them, and keep rolling them. And they come up the same way every single time. But then somebody with a, uh, an NIV or a New American Standard, they say, well, oh, look, give me a try. And they roll them, and they mess them up every time. Okay? It all points to this one Bible. Exactly. Now, I'm not done, but I know I got a lot more to share with you than what I have time to try to squeeze into, let's say, the next 10, 20 minutes. So I'm going to stop right here. We'll do part two of this uh, as soon as we can. We're going to try to get it done before homecoming, which is August 4th, 5th, and 6th. And we hope to see you there. We have a wonderful time with homecoming. God has blessed us now. He's got us back on our feet with our mail not being stolen anymore. Um, our, our, our second very expensive uh, sewer pump has been put in. And so far, they haven't asked us to pay for it, which is good because it wasn't our fault. And um, we're able once again to feed the good people in Kenya, especially in Turkana, Kenya. And I want you to continue to pray for them. Okay, they're starving to death, people. And the price now, the price of the food, we, we started doing this, it, we were looking at maybe 3 to $4 a household per week. Then it went to $6 per household per week. Now it's up to $10 per household per week. And that's because of a, an election okay anyway i love you you're the reason why we do what we do you're the reason why i put on a happy face and i say in this bible something else okay share it with others they may not understand it at first but share them with it anyway god will be there with them to teach it to them we'll see you next time bye-bye